0: We're joined today by Rowan Nadkarni of Sports Illustrated to talk about his cover story on Heat superstar Jimmy Butler, his pursuits on and off the court, and to preview the upcoming season. All that and more on today's episode of Locked on Heat.
1: You are locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked on Heat, your daily podcast on the Miami I'm Wes Goldberg. Joining me as always is David Ramil and special guest Sports Illustrated, Ron Nadkarni. However, you're tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash on today to get started. Uh, We are joined by Rohan Nadkarni of Sports Illustrated, who wrote a cover story about Jimmy Butler this week called, There's No One Quite Like Jimmy Butler. Um, Thanks so much for jumping on the show, man. Uh, I want to get to some of the quotes from Jimmy and from Pat Riley in a second, but I just sort of want to start with the reporting on this story. Butler and Riley aren't exactly guys known for doing exclusive Mm -hmm. interviews, uh, what was it like reporting on this and talking with them ahead of the season?
2: Uh, pretty fun, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty cool. Um, uh, Jimmy's always really fun to talk to if and when he's he's willing to chat. Like he's he's always on. He's a very funny guy. Like um, they obviously both have a lot of interesting things to say about basketball. Pat Riley was telling me all kinds of stories that were really interesting. So. It, yeah, it was a, truly a, a privilege to get to speak with uh, both of them. Just for they're both very interesting, even for very different reasons. What was the well, best
1: just... Riley story? Oh
2: yeah, more like um, he would reference like things like he's like telling a story about Jimmy, and he's like, "That reminds me of when Michael Thompson walked into my office in '86." Like, I'm like, you know, and it's like it's not a bit like he's being serious. Um, right. <laughs> stuff like that is is uh, pretty wild.
0: Well, just even from the perspective of like trying to pitch the story to get Jimmy involved in the process, what, how did that come about and what was that like?
2: Wow. I mean, you know, that, those are the kinds of things that you, you really are working on for years in some ways. Just, you know, I wrote about Jimmy once before and I think that story went well. And so, you know, that, that kind of like plants the seed, so to speak. Sure. Um, And I think for at SI, like, you know, I think last year we had the Celtics on our cover, like, um, you know, when the Heat lost in the finals in 2020, we had them coming out of the bubble, um, you know, with a big story in there, too. So it's like a combination of, you know, the Heat obviously had this exciting run and Jimmy was at the center of that versus, you know, we'd been lucky to write about him before. And sometimes all those things come together at the right time.
1: What does it mean for him to be the guest editor? of your season preview.
2: (laughs) So we basically tried to get Jimmy in the issue in as many ways possible besides just writing a story about him. So there's, you know, he has like, he tells us his favorite coffee places in NBA cities in the issue. There's a story about his friendship with Carlos Alcaraz in the issue. There's like, uh, you know, we asked him a bunch of rapid-fire questions, like "Who? Which rookie should we look after this season? Which coach?" And so there's mm-hmm. a bunch of little blurbs about that. Another thing that's in the issue, which is another reason why I hope people really pick it up, is uh, when you every say pick year, it up, pick up a physical copy. Yes, mean. yes,
1: yes. Go to a newsstand or something or wherever <laughs> right. it is that you purchase. What's um, Illustrated? Yeah,
2: a bookstore even. Um, wow, Those we still had, yeah. We had, we had a bunch of like anonymous scouting reports that uh, we get every year, and so Jimmy reacted to a bunch of them, uh, which was pretty fun. And that's all in the issues. I hope people that's go awesome. pick it up.
1: I'm gonna go pick it up. Um, I think is that Borders on University still open? I don't remember. I was gonna say, I'm,
2: I think if you try Barnes and Noble, you might actually have some luck. All right,
1: um, let me I, I want to just read you a couple of things that really stood out to me from your own story, which is always weird when people <laughs> read you things that you wrote, but. Um, I love this and it's such a great point. Quote, Butler has few friends around the NBA and is basically never seen hanging with them off the court or palling around on their podcasts. First of all, great phrasing about the palling around a podcast because that's <laughs> literally what those podcasts, those, those player hosted <laughs> podcasts feel like, uh, which is great, but that's what it, that's exactly what it is. Um, why do you think that is? why, why, why did you feel the need to include that kind of detail in the story here? I think
2: just because, uh, it's one of those small things that I, I think the totality of what Jimmy does is what sets him apart. But that's, that's one of those small things where it feels like he's always going against the grain. He's always challenging things, uh, whether that means like things people say to him or the way his peers act. Right. I feel like he's kind of committed to going against the grain and it's just, yeah. Like, like you mentioned, like we see all of this, um, more than ever, right? Like one of the criticisms about the NBA is these guys are too close. Too like you know, it, it's an, a weird thing that people always want to talk about. Like, are these guys friends off the court? I'm right. I'm cool with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But in a time where like that's a a thing people worry about, it, right. Jimmy couldn't be you know more further removed from it.
1: And you got like fake beefs like between like Clay Thompson and Paul George that like nobody <laughs> really cares about, you know, and they used to be friends and now they're not friends anymore. It's a little soap opera-esque and yet Jimmy doesn't really include himself in that. And he finds, I guess, joy with – you mentioned – you go on to mention some of the people that he hangs out with, right? And he's able to just mm-hmm. kind of find friends off the court like Jay Balvin, which is really cool. Um, but uh, I do wonder where that, I guess, just comes from. It's not like he comes from – a, a an area that's not known for basketball players. You know what I mean? Like uh, Texas has a bunch of guys that have come out uh, and played in the NBA. So I just, I guess I'm just curious about that entire thing. And and you go on and you say, you know, you do you, go back to the, your point about the totality of Jimmy Butler. Um, here's another bit in case you're not uncomfortable <laughs> enough listening to me read your writing. <laughs> Uh, Butler's ability to look at what's directly in front of him and not dwell on the past is one of his defining characteristics. It's common for NBA players of Butler's stature to mythologize the summer of despair after a difficult playoff defeat. You'll often hear stories of superstars going into a dark place, replaying critical moments in their mind and growing a castaway-esque beard as they ruminate on their near misses. I love this for two reasons. Number one, you're 100% right and... Over the next month or two, we're going to read a ton of stories about how this was the biggest summer of this player's career and how they're <laughs> going to come back better than ever and how last year didn't end the right way or how they wanted to. And it's a cliche story, right? It's such a cliche story. And I'm kind of sick of reading them, if I'm being honest. The second part about this is that Jimmy Butler is just not a cliche. In all these things that we're talking about, he's just like the opposite of a cliche superstar player. And I do think, and I want I want your opinion on this, I think people have a hard time – Yes digesting that relating to it rooting for it even maybe what do you think about that
2: yeah I do think it's interesting I think you know you have to hit a sweet spot right because I think people start to like guys when they act different but you know they want to know they they care about certain things as much as fans may care about it etc I'm with you I mean I think it's I, I the way I look at it is I just think if I were famous or if other people were famous they should try to do it in the way Jimmy Butler does it. Right. I think he's just really enjoying himself. I think he's reached a point in his life where he realizes he can enjoy himself um, and wants to take advantage of all these experiences uh, that he has available to him. And I I think that's really cool. I think more people um, uh, should capitalize on on things like that when they have the chance. And I think that's what makes Jimmy uh, unique. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, a few days after the finals, he was in Brazil and he, ma- he manages to do those things without caring any less or trying any less hard when he's on the court, and I think that's what makes him uh, a very unique individual.
0: But were you surprised to even hear him say that? Because we all know about what an intense competitor he is. And so you just would think that naturally that would still bother him. And maybe he's just kind of being a little bit performative when he's answering these questions, although I don't get that sense from the, the tone of the interview. But you would still think that, it would still drive him or egg on, egg him on, or just even kind of hurt a little bit. But he just kind of makes it seem like he's very capable of compartmentalizing the pain or whatever you might want to call it of losing in the finals, and then just being able to say, you know what, that's in the past. I can move on now and look forward to the future. Were you surprised by his answer?
2: I, I was. I would say that I wasn't surprised by his answer. I was surprised that that was the impression I kind of had going in just from you know seeing what he was up to this summer already and right (laughs) and so he didn't look depressed when
0: he's on the u.s open he didn't look sad when he's got that big smile and he's walking out to the tennis court or anything like that
2: right but i it's funny because i asked him pat riley about something that riley said at at his kind of exit interview press conference that he gives at the end of every year he was like jimmy's the kind of guy that doesn't need a pat on the back Mm -hmm. um that he referenced Michael Thompson when he told me that story. That's when he said, you know, Michael Thompson came in my office and said, I don't, I don't need a pat on the back coach. And he was like, Jimmy reminds me of that. And I asked Jimmy about that. I was like, you know, Pat's so famous for the way he motivates people. Right. Um, but it sounds like he doesn't need to say anything to you. Like, you know, and where does that come from? And he was just, Jimmy was like, I know why I do it. He's like, I'm too old for, you know, these kinds of things to hype me up. I mean, I, I look at kind of, you know, the loss the same way. I think the things that drive him, the motivation that he has at this point, you know, a tough finals loss is not going to to change what that motivation is to change where that drive comes from. And I yeah. thought that was the point uh, that he was trying to make.
1: I want to explore that relationship between Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler a little bit more because I think that's fascinating. But we're going to do that after this. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel.
0: Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's just $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So go visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. That's FanDuel, the official
1: partner of the NFL. Thanks for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We will be back on Monday talking about Miami's preseason games over the weekend, Friday night in San Antonio, Memphis on Sunday night. Make sure you are subscribed. Um, Not that anybody's playing in that Spurs game. (laughs) It hardly qualifies as a Heat game more like a summer league game in october um all right i want to keep talking about that relationship Rohanna, between jimmy butler and pat riley because it's so interesting because it does feel like they're cut from the same cloth and yet we don't really hear them other than the that annual press conference that pat riley gives that you that you referenced we don't really hear about that relationship all that much um and i promise this is the last time i'm going to read from your article (laughs) When we signed him in 2019, it was the right time for him and the right time for us. We're about winning, and Jimmy's about wanting to win. It's why Miami feels that a third title run is a possibility, even as the team lost Max Strus and point guard Gabe Vincent in free agency. Um, there's a couple different things in there, but why is it that you feel like Jimmy is the right fit for somebody like Pat Riley at this stage of Pat Riley's career, and why do you – why do you write that they feel like they could like a third title run is a possibility right now?
2: So in terms of uh, his fit with the heat, um, you know, I I asked Jimmy, I was like, why do you think it's worked so well for you here compared to other places in your career? Like the success Mm. you've had the last few years, he mentioned a big part of it was just the hierarchy, everyone knowing their roles. And he's Mm. like, you know, I'm not going to say whose role is what you could probably guess what they are, but, um, you know, people here know their roles are committed to it, you know, spoke, it's the best out of everyone. And I think that that's something that definitely appeals to Jimmy, right? Is the fact that people can, can speak freely. Um, you know, that environment it's, uh, you know, the, the lines are clear, I think in Miami in, in, ways right. that maybe they aren't unnecessarily in other organizations. I'm not saying this better or worse, just clearly like they seem to operate a, a unique way. At least in their minds. So, I I just think that, and I think what Riley said is truth. Like they both have, I think, a similar kind of intensity, motivational level about trying to win. That's very outward, you know. I'm again, I think other organizations and players have it, but they, I think, you know, Riley and guys like Jimmy express it the same way, and I think that's what's that's what I think has made the partnership work so well so far
1: and you've gotten the sense that they think that they can get back to the finals this year. I
2: you know I <laughs> I think that uh I definitely believe think that. that the the holiday and uh Lillard trades I mean I, so I, I spoke to these interviews are done before those trades happen to be totally transparent. Gotcha. And I so I'm not saying that that's that's changed the belief Level, I think they realize that the the climb is going to be harder than it was a couple weeks ago. But I de- I didn't get the sense from anyone I spoke to that this is going to be a gap year. This is any you know, there's none of that like accepting that they've taken a step back. Um, despite what happened this off season. I think that the 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 confidence is is just as high as it's been at any point.
0: I wanted to get back to the, the the Riley situation again. We were talking about it before, and how you know Jimmy kind of compartmentalizes and moves on and things of that sort. But you know Pat Riley, so famous for that quote of "there's misery and there's there's winning and then there's misery," and yet for Jimmy, he just he doesn't seem to kind of want to, you know, just sit in that misery and be is able to move on. Don't there's you think winning that,
1: and there's not winning for Jimmy? I right.
0: Guess. Yeah. Don't you think that that would create some kind of conflict or not necessarily conflict? because I guess they don't really doubt his commitment to winning, but it, you know, they talk, you talked about the fit, you wrote about the fit and yet maybe he is a little incongruous with the whole idea that, you know, it's either a championship or bust in Miami.
2: Yeah. I, I don't think that Riley's uh motivation or that, that obsession has changed at all. Right. I do think that something that's happened is Riley is not – Spo gets a lot of leeway, and I think Riley understands that this is a different generation, right? Like he – you know, and I was speaking to him about what Butler does off the court. I think he, Pat gets a kick out of it. But I, I oh, think really? he also recognizes that it's different from the players he coached to an extent. Um, and I think that's why he lets kind of Spo be that uh, manager more so than he is at this point in his career – And I, I think that you've seen the heat now from the time that LeBron got there, I think realized that they have to kind of create a more mutual relationship with their stars uh, to an extent. Yep. Yep. Um, So those things have changed, like those stances have softened and in that way, like, like I said, I think, I still think Pat is all winning or misery, but (laughs) he, he recognizes that things have changed and how players are going to express themselves.
0: Yeah, he goes to a dark place so Jimmy
1: doesn't have to, basically. <laughs> exactly,
0: right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you still well, get that sense, Rohan, like, that it is winning or misery for Pat Riley? Because we're we're going to get to all this stuff, but like opportunities mm-hmm. to trade for Damian Lillard, opportunities perhaps for Drew Holiday. And it doesn't, if there is an urgency, I don't know that Heat fans feel that the organization is acting with an appropriate level of urgency.
2: That's true. And and you know, we can get into some of the transaction stuff like you said and I I asked Riley about that and we can go over those quotes which didn't make it into the story but
0: mm.
2: you know, I I just think that's a separate conversation. I mean, that's complicated for a variety of reasons. We have the new CBA yeah. now, so I I understand like the frustration when the the moves of, you know, the Lillard and Holiday magnitudes were made this summer, but I I don't think that has anything to do with Riley's motivation to win.
0: I, I've got before we get into the transaction stuff because I'm sure a lot of uh, mm-hmm. our fans want to hear. it, I, I'm just curious because you know he he basically flat out says he's not friends with a lot of NBA players, and that seems so atypical of NBA stars and how fans want to perceive them. Do you think that makes Jimmy someone that other players around the league may not want to play with? And do you think he kind of gets a little bit of a pass for not being the kind of idealized recruiter that a lot of people want out of their superstructures i remember years ago derrick rose got that kind of flack for not wanting to woo carmelo anthony it's happened before and i think internally we all view bam as that next guy the one that players around the league want to play with does that make jimmy kind of standoffish or just unique and it doesn't really matter around the league as much
2: i don't get the sense that it matters around the league i think jimmy even even the players who find him annoying, I think, would tell you they respect him. I think he's really okay. well-respected. And I think that what he's done on the court, right, like we all know, taking an eight seed to the, to the finals, taking a five seed to the finals, I think that stuff at this point weighs more on people who are considering coming to Miami where they feel like they'd have a great chance to win with Jimmy. I, I think that matters more. Uh, and I think even if he's not particularly friendly with a lot of guys around the league, he's he's definitely got... A lot of respect.
1: Let's talk about this heat season, how the heat stack up against the Celtics and the Bucks in the East, and if they can return to the NBA finals, and if they can, how they can do it. We'll talk about that next year on Locked On Heat. Thanks for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Before we do talk about the East, Rohan, you mentioned a couple of the quotes that didn't make your story. You have a favorite quote, a favorite anecdote, a favorite story, a favorite anything that was on the cutting room floor.
2: I asked Pat Riley if he's tried Jimmy's coffee yet, and he (laughs) said no, but he did try the Van Leeuwen big face ice cream flavor while they were in Milwaukee um which i thought was funny he said he got it in an ice cream cone what really flavor? wanted to get that in there it, it, the jimmy butler's got a a big face coffee flavor oh it's ice the coffee flavor ice cream yeah, okay yeah, got yeah. it um
1: you got it in a cone
2: yeah kind of hard to picture pat
0: riley eating a cone of ice cream though right yeah it's, it's I know. A... yeah, yeah. <laughs> what an um, image
2: yeah that didn't make it in there um you know i, I asked pat um do you think it's Pat Riley is
1: like a lick or a bite on the cone? Because you can lick oh. the ice cream cone or you could just bite right into the ice cream. If you have sensitive teeth, it could be a little troublesome. But I do wonder I'll if he's a I'll lick I'll or a let bite. I'll you
2: ask that, uh, Wes, next time you get you In get June, I'll ask to, him. Yeah, I'll yeah. ask
1: him in yeah. June yeah. for his next annual Has, press it's availability. Release. I don't you know. know. Riley, are you a licker or a
0: biter? A year ago, you had ice cream, according to that <laughs> SI reporter. Yeah, Ruud, yeah, not yeah.
1: We, we want to know exactly how you Um. Go ahead, Ron. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, no. That was a really enjoyable um, detour <laughs> that we took there. Um, no, that was mostly it. I think we, we can we can bring up um, the Riley co- quotes in context of where we talk about next. But that was honestly okay. probably the most fun thing that we left out. Um,
1: well, What do you think we're going to talk about next? What do we, I think we're
2: going to talk about? I, I'm, I'm confident I'll be able to work it into the conversation.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> um, well, we haven't really talked with you at all since the Damien Lillard saga in general. Mm. Just what were your thoughts on, on how all that went down? Um, and do you think personally that there's a chance of the heat making it back to the finals now that obviously Lillard is in Milwaukee instead of Miami and then the, the fallout from that drew holiday getting to Boston?
2: Yeah. I mean the Dame stuff, um, Pretty wild. I mean, it, it was definitely shocking. um I, I do think ultimately a lot of it came down to the heat. If they had great pieces to offer, things people were really excited about, like one young player who is basically slightly better than hero at the end of the day, mm-hmm. even like the best hero projection. I think. Sure. If Miami needs someone slightly more tantalizing than that for whatever reason, and maybe they would have been in better position. Um, to make that deal. I do think um, for the Heat, so I asked Pat, I was like, do you feel pressure to add someone around Jimmy? You know, one of the things he said was when you make one of these big moves now, you've you got to hit on it, you got to hit. And I do think that the second apron has been a concern for the Heat. I mean, it's not a surprise when you look at the moves they made this summer, letting Gabe and Max walk, um, tr- you know, salary dumping Oladipo, mm. only really replacing him them with a minimum guys. I think they've been cost cutting the summer. It's no secret they're right under the second apron. I I think that that is kind of something that's been looming over them, um, in terms of how they work on the roster.
1: Um, and obviously that comes into play when you talk about Bradley Beal reporting that mm-hmm. they didn't pursue Bradley Beal, not just because of the contract, but also because he wouldn't waive the no trade clause, which went with him to Phoenix. And I guess the Suns were fine with it because if Bradley Beal comes over with a no trade clause and you have, and you find yourself in a place where you need to get out of that second luxury tax apron or something like that, it obviously becomes much more complicated Mm -hmm. when you can veto any type of trade away from Miami. Um, And so I do wonder how the heat can look around and say, okay, yeah, we're dealing with the second tax apron. Obviously some of that has to come from ownership. Right, like it's not Pat Riley paying for this team. Um, obviously he's got a great relationship with Mcarrison and you know they they have been in lockstep now for almost thirty years. But you know the Carnival Cruise Lines is the Jersey Patch. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know that this is a team that's flush with cash the way that even a team like the Knicks or the Lakers or the Warriors or the Celtics are at this point. And I, is that getting in the way now of this team? being able to maximize the Jimmy Butler window when you have teams like Milwaukee uh, and Boston obviously motivated enough to say, you know what, let's just go for it uh, and go ahead and grab Damon Lillard, go ahead and grab Drew Holiday where Miami just wasn't able to do it. Not just this summer, but even last summer where they weren't able to make a trade for Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant. I just, are they, are they almost fantasizing this thing where it's like, all right, you know, what? we have enough, we have enough, we have enough. and And at the end of the day, they're just not going to have enough.
2: Well, I do think that the irony of it all is they have a pretty big tax bill this year, right? It's the first time they're paying the tax in a while and they're going to be paying quite a bit of it. I, I, you know, they just got hit with the second apron thing and I think we're going to find out pretty quickly this year in the NBA that unless you're the Warriors who are kind of almost grandfathered into the system because they had Steph Clandre on the team already, um, it will, if the team's willing to pay in the second apron, if that's the right strategy or not. If Boston is going to be too top heavy, if Phoenix is going to be too top heavy, Milwaukee, um, I think teams want to see how that plays out a little bit. Um, I think teams are still trying to understand the consequences of what does it mean if we don't have our taxpayer mid level? Um, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean when we can't send sign buyout guys in the season um, that made a certain amount of money on their last contract? So I think once teams kind of figure out those consequences, we'll we'll know um, whether the second apron is creating kind of a haves and haves not situation, or if you're in Miami and you finally have your limits, so to speak um, you can still compete that way. And I think the heat and some, to some degree are still finding that out themselves. So as far as the, the championship contender thing, I think it's no secret. They've taken a hit with what happens with the bucks and Celtics. But again, I think they're a wanting to see what happens with these teams that are top heavy B I think even though they've obviously struck out on some big names, I think they probably still feel like they have moves to make on the board before you know by the deadline at the latest.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that sounds a little surprising because I don't know they did. I, Wes and I have talked about it before, and it just doesn't seem like the Heat has operated like that for a while. I mean, the last real midseason trade that they did was to acquire Andre Iguodala, and Jay Crowder, uh, right before the season ended in 2020. So I, I don't know if there's another move to be made. And we've talked about Kyle Lowry and I think a lot of people still expect Lowry to be moved, but I still, I, I personally believe that might be a little too optimistic. I don't know that there's going to be as many takers and I don't know what you're going to be able to, to trade Lowry for or who you're going to have to attach along with Lowry, whether it's a pick or other players in order to get the complementary piece that could get them there.
2: Yeah. I- I, I definitely think it's going to be – it's not. It's easier said than done. Sure. You do think even last year, you think about where someone like Russell Westbrook was by the right. deadline. Um. You know, People were talking about, is he even going to play in the NBA again after this trade, et cetera. Um, he had a bigger contract than Kyle Lowry. He got moved along with the protected first, and the Lakers were able to get viable players back in that deal. It yeah. comes down to, are the Heat willing to attach an unprotected first to Lowry? Are they willing to attach Jovich? Um, if that's the case, I think that contract will be attractive uh, to teams around the league and, and, and movable. And again, that's all easier said than done, but it's it's a possibility and, and still possible for them to stay under the second apron in a scenario like that.
1: Should they trade for James Harden?
2: I don't think they should trade for James Harden. I don't think that's the move. I think you let him go out west. I do think they should they should be calling the Pistons every day and trying to get uh, Monte Morris and Bogdanovich oh. together.
1: Okay. That sucks. That's so lame. Like Why? Milwaukee just got Damian Lillard. Boston got Drew Holiday, and we're like, well, we've got Monte Morris.
2: I would I would pick the Heat to make the finals if they got Monte Morris and Bogdanovich together in that deal. Throw Jovich in there too.
0: Ooh. Throw
1: Jovich in the it. deal, sending Jovich yeah. out for a boy on yeah. Bogdanovich and Monte Morris. Yeah. Is Monte Morris the starting point guard on this? On this team?
2: In that yeah, deal? No. those are those are two 39% career three-point shooters that you're... That would actually be the best uh, shooting mm-hmm. lineup that he'd have ever put around Jimmy. Bogdanovich averaged 20 last year. He was good.
1: On a bad team. Yeah, he got a lot yeah, of opportunities he was like, on he a was bad like, team. He he's a like, good player. Was, no, I, I don't want to want to He's like a good 40,
2: player. He was like 48, 39, and 88. That's what does that like, deal incredible. look
1: like? Is it, That's is it incredible. Just, is it just Kyle Lowry contract-wise that you need in that?
2: you could you could fit it for Lowry's contract, but i i again I'd throw yovich in if I had to and a first yeah
1: wow send it
2: in that's the
1: part that i <sighs> I don't that know how much longer I good. want to go on this. But it, no, I look, that would be an improvement. But that's the thing that this team is not doing is making those marginal improvements because they're hoarding whatever picks that they have in hopes of landing a superstar player. And then these superstar players come along and then they say, well, actually, no, because we don't want the long-term contract or the no trade clause or anything like that. So I just sort of wonder, like, that's why I keep going back to Harden. It's like, well, here's your superstar player, and you don't deal with the long-term contract because this deal is expiring. But then they're like, well, the off-the-court issues. And I'm like, well, then what do you want? What do you, What are you looking for <laughs> for the Miami Heat? Because you don't want to make the marginal moves because you want a superstar. You don't want the superstars because their contracts are too big and you're worried about the second apron. And then you have a superstar that's on a one-year deal, and you're like, well, no, because we don't like his personality. It To me, th- this is a Heat team that's looking for this perfect fit over the last few years, and it's just not going to happen. And that's why I question this team's urgency, and even. Honestly, kind of real self-belief. If you give a true serum to this team, you get Pat Riley drunk and really ask him, "Do you think that this team would have made the finals like could was going to make the finals last year and do you think that they could really make it again?" I wonder if they would say yes because they're not acting like a team that would say yes. And that's just where I keep coming back down on this.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think again, if you look at the superstar stuff on a case-by-case basis, I I think that a big part of it now is you know, I I floated out Embiid before someone who, who they might want like Lillard. I think him being, if he was two years younger, I think you would have seen them make a more aggressive pursuit with Portland. Um, you know, Embiid is now pushing 30, but I think they'd rather trade for a 31 year old version of him than a 33 year old version of Lillard. If all things were created equal. Now that's not necessarily the case and they might not get that opportunity, et cetera. So people don't need to get carried away with that, but I, 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 I can understand each time why they didn't make the move, why it didn't happen, and I, uh, you know, like the way the Portland stuff unfolded this summer. Could you really say that's a a fault of the Heat's urgency? Maybe I don't know. There's a lot of reporting. Yeah, out there's there. a lot. It's like weird. you, uh,
1: you know. It's what it's I, fair. So it's fair. I don't. I don't mean to. Right. Debate Miami's urgency in getting Damian right. Lillard. They just, they misplayed their hand. Well, even yesterday, though. Even yesterday,
0: right? The report that, that Aaron Goodwin said something that pissed off Joe Cronin. Or, or radio hosting close. stuff. Yeah. I
1: don't know. That he was, he was. was
0: this close yeah. to sending Damian Lillard. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, that's something that a lot of what? Heat fans need to hear, especially when they've kind of sort of moved on and are looking um, forward
1: to Miami's Young Core. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's just end it here. Um, ah. I don't know. Do you want to do predictions, or you could just say I don't even want to bother. Get me off the show.
2: We want, We're gonna. Okay. What are we predicting?
1: <laughs> Top six in the East. Yes. You'll do it. I'll do it.
2: I, I'm. I'm coming back around to this team. I still think that the Jovich conversation got way too out of hand. In what um, sense?
0: In what sense? Uh,
2: people are expecting yeah, him to play month, way more than I think he's actually going to play.
1: Um. But you like the team. Why do you like the team?
2: It's more so that I don't love the East. Like, Toronto's worse. Chicago could be good, but they could trade anyone at any second. Um, I guess the Pacers will be better. Yeah. But, you know, the Hawks might be slightly better. But they also don't have John Collins anymore. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's, it's more so with the distrust in the heat. Or distrust in the East, rather. But...
1: Give me your final rankings. Top six. Just, you don't have to give me all 15. But, like, all right, Milwaukee or Boston, who do you think is better?
2: I'll take Milwaukee for now, then Boston. All right. Then Philly.
1: Yeah.
2: Then Cleveland. Then New York. Then Miami.
1: These are regular season standings. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And then in the playoffs, do you like Miami's chances or like what are we talking about here in terms of the Heat's actual realistic ceiling? As presently constructed,
2: don't love their chances, but I'm, I'm willing to give them until the trade deadline um, to see what they do with this roster.
1: Fair enough. Uh, this is a team that's $13 million over the luxury tax, so getting below the luxury tax really isn't an option for them. Um, so it's either make a move at the deadline or don't and see what happens, I guess. But, uh, Ron, this was such a joy to bring you back on. It's been too long since we've had you on the show. Uh, if you have not read his piece in Sports Illustrated, go check it out. Find a bookstore or a place that find, sells magazines. Jimmy Butler's on the cover and there's a really cool photo shoot that goes along with it. Um with some of the, like, those shots were done in Miami, right? Some of those That's shots. right.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Absolutely.
1: Definitely worth uh checking that out uh and grabbing a copy. So thanks so much for making Lockdown Heat your first listen every day. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube and follow us on your podcast app.